You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. This is the Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. You know, today's actually kind of a sad day for me, Bracken. Uh-oh. Yeah. You see this uh, You see this mug I always drink when we record? Yes. Yes, I do. I, I'm always curious about the bottom. Is it two-tone just because it has a different uh, color on it, or does it have a totally different material on the bottom? It's a totally different material. It's bottom-weighted, so it just has this nice, like, good feel to it. It says, uh, get after it on the side that you can't yes, see. it does. But anyways, uh, the reason this is a sad day is because this cup is filled with green tea this morning not coffee. And I'm going to, I'm trying to uh, leave the coffee out this week. I've been having just a few GI issues and I'm, I'm wondering if it's this. So I'm going to green tea this week. So if I'm a cranky mess, now you know why. So are you, are you cutting out coffee or are you cutting out caffeine entirely? Oh, come on now. I could, no way I could give up caffeine. I would die. Okay. So I'm going, I'm trying green tea this morning. So this is a, this is a whole new of all episodes we've ever recorded. I've had a cup of coffee in my hands and this is the first one in which I've got green tea. So yeah, see you kind of look like hell. I don't know if this is a good look for you. <laughs> I, I do. I slept for like 12 hours last night. Uh, so I'm coming out of hibernation. See how my eyes are puffy? Uh, they, oh, they're there. Yeah. Uh, I need to get on some of that cream my girlfriend just puts on in the morning. That make me look real sexy. Yeah, you should do that. Um, what about you? You, uh, you read, did another 100-mile bike time trial, didn't you? Yes, I did. <laughs> you seem a little uh, <laughs> underwhelmed as well. Well, things went really right, and then life came at me quick. Yeah, I, I saw a train train issue. Uh, I mean, the train was fine. It actually didn't take that long, and it gave me a quick breather. And that was only like 14 miles in. Mm. But I was rolling pretty well, putting out what felt like the same effort as the first time. But I was like two miles per hour faster across the board on every section. And the first time I did this hundred, um, it, it's a it's a paved bike path, or the whole thing's a bike path, but it connects multiple bike paths together. So the first like twenty nine point eight miles are paved, and then I turned around at fifty. So from thirty to fifty is gravel or or dirt, and okay. it's pretty it's pretty well maintained. It's not like I'm going off roading, but it, it changes and. And uh, at 33, I was on pace for 5.05 to 5.10 total time. My first time I was 5.42. Okay, so much quicker. I mean, you said two miles an hour faster. That's that's a crazy amount of time to be gaining. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But I'm I'm fitter and I know more what I'm doing on the bike. My position's a little more dialed in and it's ready to roll. And by the turnaround, I was on pace for like 5.10. I lost a little bit of ground in the last like 10 miles before a turnaround. And then I came back and the wind just like started. It made sense why you were two miles an hour faster on the way out suddenly, didn't it, Bragan? Well, 
It did a little bit, but I was I was keeping track of wind that morning. I thought if I left early enough, I could get ahead of the wind. It wasn't scheduled to start up until like nine o'clock, and it started up at like eight. <laughs> did you? Did you? So I woke up to a. I almost thought it was a booty call from you, but it wasn't because it was like I woke up and I had a text from you. Yeah, you know, and I, I think I stay up later than you do, so it only could have been. But what time you stay up to? Uh, well, it was a Friday night bracket. I was up to like 11. I was you okay. know, really living large. I'm up between 1030 and 1130 most nights. Oh, you are. Okay. Well, uh, and did you say, so you sent me a text that said, I'm going to go do this. Was that an accountability thing or were you just like, yes, ready? it was. It was. Okay. That was early. That was before five. Now, John Yatska would say that all that biking is a waste and it's only going to make you slower. You know, I had to talk with John about that. Did you actually? Fact, I got a lot of messages from people about that. I got a couple. Oh, of I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna get in an argument, and I was like, no. Like our time to talk about us and our feelings is Training Tuesday. Mm-hmm. The guest time is to share their take on everything because a, it's about them, and b, my feelings change on things throughout life. I'm not gonna stand and like die on this rock right here, and then five years later be like, hey man, cycling's not good for runners. So no, that's that's John's time to to spit his truths. Correct. All right. Well, so, my take. so you're not any slower after your hundred mile venture. Well, Stand my, firm my conversation with him is like, yeah, I could understand. Like if you were uh, trying to be the best runner in the world and you started taking time away from running to start cycling, you will get slower most likely unless mm-hmm. injury is your trouble. But I haven't run in like 20 weeks. So mm-hmm. me not running and not biking is slower than me not running and doing biking. Correct. And he said, yeah, in, in that sense, definitely. And I said, and also one of my big issues is every minute past an hour, I struggle engine wise. And so if I can go out and do two, four, six hour bike rides and work on my engine, I think that translates. And he said, yeah, I could see that, but just don't tell people to run, to bike instead of run. Oh, and I couldn't agree more with so, okay. that. It's, it's a means to an end in an injury situation. I still think he called it pseudoscience when it comes to, uh, to uphill running and, and bike. Uh, That's where I did disagree with him. So I, it, we're all entitled to our opinions, but um, I, I, I agree that it was not a waste of time to be spending five hours on the bike. That will right. pay off somehow, yeah. And mental. So I don't know if you remember the, f- the first time I said I'm going to do this, it was because I wanted to get better at finishing things that were bad. Yeah. Like I needed to mentally get back to holding my hand on the fire longer. And the first one wasn't terrible. This one was, so I got that out of the way. Fighting the wind was just, I got caught up. This is why I should have a power meter because Mm -hmm. I could just compare power numbers instead of miles per hour. So I was fighting to maintain a miles per hour coming back. And it just like, it was a war of attrition that I lost. The last two hours were really bad. You talked about bonking on a bike. I'm like, I've never bonked on a bike. I bonked on a bike. And did it suck as bad as any bonk you've ever hit? Because I think it's strange. It was different than any bonk I've ever hit because there's no impact. Like it didn't, it felt like I was in a dream where like you're trying to run and your feet won't quite touch the ground. If I stood up on the bike, I could like push hard enough to make my quads burn the last hour, but I could only stand up for like 10 seconds and had to sit Mm -hmm. down. But if I sat down, I literally could not push my feet forward with enough power to make my my legs burn anymore. I was just out of juice. Yep. There's a section, there's like this 10 mile section towards the end and it's like a 1% uh, decline and you can get rolling, rolling pretty well on that. And I usually am like going 22, 23, 24 miles per hour on that section. Mm -hmm. And I know there's time to be made up there. And I started out at like 20, 21, but with the wind, it was probably worth like 22, 24. And by the end I was 
going 16 miles per hour with the same effort as I would normally go 22. And on the last straightaway, I was at 14 and 15 miles per hour in arrow position, <laughs> trying to push. And I just like, <laughs> there was nothing left in my legs. It was, it was so bad. I was like the kind of thing where I got off the bike and just laid down because I thought I'd pass out or cramp if I tried to take my shoes and shorts off. What, uh, what was the final time then? Did you beat your first time or no? Oh, so you still, still a success in that way. I banked so much time the first half that, and I still, like I worked, even though I was dying, I worked hard enough that I, while well, I bled time the last hour, that last hour was like top five most exhausted I've ever been in my life. But uh, the first, the first four hours were enough to keep me ahead. Hey, that's a good, good little mini lesson right there. You know, racing conservative uh, doesn't often yield your fastest times. And there's some allure or there's some merit to going out hot and, and then hanging on because you still died home faster than uh, your end result last time. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that throughout the day, I was less fatigued than I was my first 100 mile where I didn't bonk. So like there's some there's some fitness improvements that's happened from spending more time on the bike. So that's that was my awful day. That sounds great. Oh, oh uh, and one of the other things is that uh, when you get to the non-paved section, there's a lot of turtle holes this time of year. <laughs> and they're down in there and uh, and gophers as well. And I hit a turtle hole that was shaded. I couldn't see it and I hit it hard you know down you know on the drops and it like rattled my my life and, uh, and then i went boom i thought i think i just ran over it i think i flipped the turtle out of the hole and i ran over it and, uh, I, should, and I thought about going back to like help it or take a picture or something and i didn't and because i thought it was a turtle i didn't mark that what where i was on the trail I got to my turnaround point, looked down and realized it was my 28 ounce water bottle of calories. You ran over your water so bottle. I, I was, I was like an hour. Oh, I, I missed out on an hour of water and calories coming back. So the whole way back, I was looking, trying to, trying to spot where it was, if I could find it. But I think someone picked it up to just clear the trash. And, and better so than I, a, it's better than a turtle. Better than a turtle, but. I could have at least grabbed the turtle and eaten it for calories. You know, I uh, I played around at golf yesterday, and I <laughs> <laughs> no, and there and there was a damn turtle in one of the sand traps building its little nest. I didn't see any water nearby. That turtle was very lost. Uh, and I ch I hit the sand. I was in the sand. I chipped over a damn turtle yesterday. I haven't dealt with a turtle in a while, so we're just two ships in the night, Bracken. Yeah, what kind situation. of turtle? It was a painted turtle. Oh, I like painted turtles. I've had many painted turtles as pets throughout the years. Yeah, when I was a kid, we used to. Uh, it's probably really bad. I would never do this again. We would catch <laughs> catch painted turtles off of my dock up at our, at our cottage, and we would put a big orange spray paint spot on their back so we could track all the ones we caught. And then all summer, you'd see these little orange dots swimming underneath the water. <laughs> oh, I, probably that's going to come bite me someday. Um, Bracken. We uh we got some races coming up in like two and a half weeks. Why don't you remind the folks what's on the docket here? Well, we have the Running Public's Virtual Race Series. I don't even think it's a series. Virtual Race Weekend, 4th of July, Beer Mile or Burpee 10K. And everyone's got to come do this. There's nothing else to do on 4th of July. The races are all canceled. And Kirk, I've been getting a lot of messages that are exactly what you're hoping for. People like this burpee 10K, 20 burpees, this is insane. And that's exactly what you were hoping for, right? Yeah, it is. And I'll tell you what, I'm seeing a lot of smack talking on Instagram. I'm seeing a lot of people claiming we're going to do this and all pumped up. Well, I can see the back end folks and our numbers aren't where they should be compared to all the chatter going on on Instagram. 
So you need to step up to the plate and go actually sign up. Yeah, don't talk about it. Be about it. Now, we're recording before Tuesday, of course. But as of today, we got like, by the way, Bracken, more people are signed up for the Burpee 10K right now. Twice as many people are signed up for the Burpee 10K than the Beer Mile. How do you feel about that? I feel like I'm living like communist Canada. (laughs) What does that even mean? I don't know. This isn't America anymore, Kurt. Uh, That's fair. Um, So get your asses online and sign up because this is going to be badass. Uh, And you have no excuse not to. And this is going to hold you accountable. And I'm telling you what, especially, okay, Burpee 10K is going, you're going to end up more fit because of that effort than when you started. Think of it as a grindy training workout that's going to make you mentally tougher, physically tougher, physiologically tougher, and just more dope. And then you can celebrate or hustle with the beer mile afterwards or the next day just to be, have some fun, be a badass. Yeah. Or you can just go after a good solid beer mile time to get yourself on the all time list and then do the 10K the next day because it's stupid. <laughs> we are clearly divided on that. <laughs> and, and when I say you don't have, when Kirk says you don't have excuses, I didn't have a surgery scheduled until after we set our date for this. And now I have surgery on the 18th. Of what month? June. Oh, like in like, isn't the 18th like- (laughs) They fit me in. Oh God, yeah, you're gonna have your excuses, I guess, aren't you? So, and I'm still completing the beer mile. I'm gonna be stiff-legged power walking, but I'm completing that thing, so. You're gonna be numbing the pain with a little alcohol. If I I beat anyone, (laughs) you guys are out. Somebody asked me if you could use like a white claw or like a seltzer, like a hard cider. And I referred to the international beer mile rules and I believe it has to be a true beer. It has to be fermented from hops. Hops. We'll allow gluten free yeast and all that good stuff. Here's the thing. I personally don't care. Like, have a LaCroix. Because I, I believe the carbonation is the enemy. That, yeah. Nicole made a big deal about she was too drunk to finish by the end. I think that's nonsense. Well, it took her 20 plus minutes, so that buzz had Exactly. But most people, like, you're going to get done under 10 minutes. Your second and third beers probably aren't even going to really hit you yet. Like, mm-hmm. it's a carbonation and sloshing battle. It's not an alcohol battle. And so I would say, like, drink drink whatever you want that's carbonated, but because we're giving money away, like we got to be sticklers, follow the beer mile rules. If you want to do your own, do your own, but you're not eligible for that cash money. Cash money. By the way, I came up with a way to, uh, to, I believe, get ahead of potential cheating on the Burpee uh, 10K. Okay. And I think we're going to implement this. I've not run this by Bracken yet, folks, but uh, if you take top three in our beer mile, we're going to require video submission afterwards to prove that you did it in the time registered, which is understandable. With the Burpee 10K, I believe what I think we should do, Bracken, is we should take the top three, men and women, and we should have them submit us a video of them doing their 20 fastest burpees. And that way we can cross-reference Strava and make sure it all makes sense. So if you can do 20 in 50 seconds and you have something during the race in round four where you had a 28-second round, we Correct. know like you cheated. So I think I think we just we'll we'll cross reference that way for you folks doing the burpee 10k and that'll get us as close as we can to uh, and we're gonna look at heart rate data like if you're just standing there for 45 seconds and your heart rate's dipping we know you're not doing burpees we're gonna scope this out like hardcore to the especially to the top three so that's that's our plan there do you think that's fair bracket yeah we don't have a board of directors or anything like if we don't like you we're just gonna throw you out and move it down we're gonna be <laughs> we're gonna be liberal with the scalpel on this we're gonna submit you to Strava Wanker's Instagram account I don't know if you've seen the Strava Wanker's Instagram account yeah um, all right. Enough about that. Go sign up. Quit talking about it and do it. 
that's a direct order for me. <laughs> Uh, all right. So, so Bracken, why don't you tell us about uh, the conversation you had with your wife this morning or yeah. yesterday about our topic today? Well, I was, I was taking care of some personal hygiene. I was buzzing my, my beard <laughs> off. I had my playoff beard going. Okay. You couldn't, you couldn't even see it unless you were standing real close to me, but it was getting mm-hmm. scratchy. The kids were complaining. And so I was, I was buzzing my face and then shaving my head. You know, just typical morning routine. Mm. And Lisa and I are having a conversation and she said, what are you and Kirk recording today? And I said, well, there's something like, there's some things I want to talk about, but if we just went purely based off the things we've had the most requests about messages, it would be nutrition. But neither of us want to talk about it because we don't want to get up on our soapbox and offend people and go on this big, like pious rant against the nutrition industry in our sport and in sports in general right now. And then I went off (laughs) on a 10 minute (laughs) rant. And I, and I just like told her all the things I'm frustrated about with our industry. And I got done. And like, and that's why I don't want to talk about it because that's the place I go. And she said, honestly, I think you should record that very rant because there's so many people that do need to hear that. Yeah, you'll you'll frustrate some people, but just make a disclaimer that this isn't what you recommend for everyone. But just like you do with mileage, like 80, 20 year old, it's not as sexy to do all this other stuff, but this is what is the truth. Like there is no magic fix. So give them that talk. So Mm -hmm. Lisa convinced us to just give them the talk. So guys, we're going to sit down and we're going to have the talk today. We're going to have the talk. There's so many directions you can go with nutrition in life in general and sport. Um, I think you have a little bit more of the rant side of things to explore. Mm -hmm. I think you take a little harder stance on that. And now even me, I mean, I have a background in nutrition. I coach my clients on nutrition. I have the nutrition talk every single day at some point with either an athlete or, you know, I deal heavily with weight loss clients in the gym. Um, And does it matter? Yeah, it does matter. If you eat white potatoes only for three months, you're going to become malnourished and you're not going to perform. But there are very extreme cases in which which nutrition is going to strongly, strongly adversely affect your performance. And I think sometimes we get a little scare tactic by media into thinking that we need this next thing or that next thing to reach our best. And it's just not always true. Yeah. And I'm going to give my blanket statement and then we'll get into specifics. But my blanket statement is that if you are looking to improve the quality of your life, lose weight, be healthier in the future than you are now, nutrition is the first place you should probably start. If you are looking to improve the quality of your racing and your daily workouts and performance is the number one issue on your plate, nutrition is a minor, minor, minor detail. And that is not what the vast majority of experts, I don't even know if I should call them experts, but professionals will tell you because it is a a magic button they can push and you will pay them for it. I think nutrition is incredibly important for people. I do not think that the differences between different nutritional strategies has ever made one athlete into a world beater who is currently something else. Like it's not going to change your level of athleticism unless you had a actual issue going on. Like Mm -hmm. Lisa dropped two minutes in her 5k when she went gluten-free because she had an intolerance to it and she could Mm -hmm. start training for real again. Like those things matter. But high carbs, low carbs, no sugar, some sugar, uh, paleo versus vegan. Like, I truly don't care. It's whatever works for you because it's not a performance enhancer. And I'm going to get pushback on that, and I'm open to it. So now my my mini piece is done. 
Kirk, you're the expert. Let's start exploring this. Well, <laughs> I know you have more to say. And, and you're right. There's There are ex extreme or left of center cases. Let's say there's a gluten intolerance or somebody is really, really, you know, it's important to them to be vegan for moral reasons. Um, you know, we have the whole keto debate, which is another can of worms we can talk about. I'm fairly educated on most of them at like a surface level. Um, and then those are cases uh, in which warrants maybe being put under a larger microscope to make sure you get things done right. And, I, mm -hmm. and I've and i helped people with that. Um, if you don't have any major restrictions and you tend to eat, let's say, as you feel necessary, oh God, if we start talking about like, oh, our CBD or our MCT oils or adding this or adding that, we're talking about like our, our next 1%. Yeah, and, and there's nothing or let and there's nothing wrong with that, and that's okay to strive for that one percent. Mm -hmm. But nothing is gonna. I mean, if you're looking at the 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 importance of training to to get your body to perform better, you're still looking at training, recovery, and sleep as like and recovery and sleep kind of go together as like the three main components. Maybe even throw mobility in there before I would even start tweaking heavily, heavily your nutrition. Mm -hmm. Um. That I can start the conversation that way. What do you have to piggyback on that general generalization I just made? Well, I think you did the important thing was you shifted it from a lifestyle to an athletic focus. Yeah. From a from a holistic perspective, nutrition is very important. But from an athletic perspective, if you are hitting the nutrients you need and the calories you need, you're not going to see more than that, what did you call it? A 1% difference from one from one style to another. Now, if you are a world-class athlete, and I, I like using track, for example, because it's so black and white. You get down to the finish line, and if you're consistently a hundredth or a, a tenth away from the podium or from the new level of sponsorship or whatever, like a 1% issue is massive. And that's why people dope. That's why people try everything they can because 1% matters when you're talking tenths. But to the vast majority of athletes, you don't feel 1%. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't show up. You might feel a little better overall, but like you're not going to you're not going to go from age group athlete to world champion because you went keto. And and mm -hmm. that's the point I want to drive home like your your energy and your money is better spent on things that will have massive gains. And then you can always fine tune that as that process as you go. But I want people not to be expecting to change levels of an athlete as an athlete because you change your your diet. You know, I would say, and we can wrap supplements into this too. Mm -hmm. um, I would say I would rather you go to bed a half an hour earlier every night than spend three hundred dollars a month on supplements. You know yeah. what? I feel like that would make as much or more of a difference than adding in now. And again, there's caveats to everything. If you have an iron or ferritin deficiency, if you're yes. low in vitamin D, if things like that, like, I, again, we are, we are not talking about the extenuating circumstances, uh, go to bed a half an hour earlier and you can probably skip your CBD oil, your, all your, whatever you think is important to take. Um, and this is coming from a guy who takes stuff by the way. And I, and I do take some things. And so I'm not, it could be pot meets kettle here, but, um, and I, I'm going to, I think, I think the next direction we should we should take this conversation back and is maybe some of the mistakes that people make when they think about nutrition um, in regards to performance and the rabbit holes that people can, can uh, 
go down. So what do you, do you have any, I'm imagining in this 10 minute speech you gave your wife, uh, you had some mistakes people make or misconceptions. Do you have any that jump out to you right away? Well, first of all, the big thing I see a lot is I have clients who spend more on nutrition each month than they do on coaching or on workout gear. Mm-hmm. where okay. they might be paying $150 a month for coaching, but they're spending $200 on supplements. Mm-hmm. And so expecting that they're getting equal return on investment there because there are people out there saying in their commercials and their ads to try to convince you to buy it, that like, this is a game changer. I've never felt as strong or as fast. And like, we have to be better at sifting through things. But I think that people sometimes place a importance upon nutrition or supplementation that is better placed upon actual workouts. So people, uh, uh, a comment I see a lot is, man, I'm just like 40 minutes into a race or into this workout. Like I just lose all my pop. And I just know if I figured out my nutrition level, if I got my nutrition to the level that the pros have theirs dialed in, that wouldn't happen. And that that's either a pacing issue or it's a fitness issue. Like unless you didn't eat anything at all, you're not running out of energy after 40 minutes, you're running out mm-hmm. of fitness. And yeah. it's easier to send out for a food box or a new nutrition or a new uh, supplement bottle or a new um, hydration drink or anything like that, rather than to put in 20% more volume or find six more hours of sleep throughout your week. Mm-hmm. If you look at, I mean, we know a lot of the top athletes in our sport personally, and if you look at what they're eating on a, on a daily basis, um, it's not going to blow your mind. It's going to be, in fact, I will say that some of the top end athletes have the biggest sugar and simple carb addiction that you will ever see the chocolate and gummy bears and ice cream and crap loaded on top of yes, probably balanced nutrition, but their fringe eating is almost appalling at times. Mm -hmm. Um, because one, I think they're just in a caloric debt and they're trying to fill it. So the cravings are high. And two, um, I, I think that they need the calories. So like, I'm just, I don't know, I don't know anybody at the top level of our sport bracken that is super anal about their nutrition. I don't know how else to put it. Do you? No, I, I always look to the the Atkins family because I feel like they have one of the most healthy, holistic approaches to life of anyone that, that mm-hmm. I've come into contact with and that it infuses every aspect of their life. And you know what they do? They just eat a little bit of healthy meat a lot of fresh fresh vegetables, a good amount of carbs, and they don't stress over anything. You know, mm-hmm. Ryan fuels with maple syrup in packets for races because he's found that it works and it's simple sugar. And it also complies with their, like, we want everything to be like as naturally sourced as possible thing. Like mm-hmm. there's not anything spectacular he's doing. He's just doing everything solid and right. Same thing with Lindsay. But the big thing that also bothers me about about diet fads is that they oftentimes go hand in hand with stress over food. And stress is the, I mean, if you work with people that that are losing weight or attempting to lose weight, you run into stress every single day. Stress is the biggest inhibitor of, of positive change that we have as humans. And the more worried and precise we get about our diet, the more it controls us. Whereas people that are a bit more free with it, as long as they're hitting their big check marks, those are the people that don't struggle with the same issues. It's true. I have an example of that this week, Bracken. Before we started recording, I told Bracken I felt like hell all week in my training. And I went back to the gym this week because gyms reopened here in Minnesota. I worked, you know, 12 plus 16 hour days, four hours of sleep, three nights in a row. I wish I was lying. Uh, I ate exactly the same as I would on any other training week, Bracken. 
And I, on that fuel, would feel fantastic in training runs and have great workouts. And this week was an absolute dog shit. And I changed nothing with my nutrition. And that just goes to show that outside factors like sleep, the stress I was under, uh, the combo of that couldn't override anything. It couldn't override. I could have done, I could take every pill in the book this week, Bracken, and I still would have had shitty performances. So I just, that was a, my own experience mm-hmm. with that, that this week. So I, I strongly agree with your sentiment there. And, and I'm going to give you the floor for a while after this, but I'm going to get one of my last like pet peeves out. But before I do, I do want to reiterate that I'm not negative, inherently negative towards nutrition and diet. Um, I, 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 myself, I've, I went, I spent, um, six months um, eating no meat coming off of uh, Fenway after last year because I felt like I had gained some unnecessary weight. I was carrying around a ton of inflammation in my body for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And finally, my research showed me that it was worth experimenting with cutting out meat and instantly my inflammation levels dropped. Like that, that was something I believed in trying and I continued it for six months. And then slowly as some energy levels eventually started dropping and I had holes in my diet, I started adding other things back in. But like I promote exploring the refinement of your diet. I firmly do. But what I don't promote is thinking that it's on equal playing field in terms of a performance enhancer. So Mm -hmm. the last thing I want to talk about is the scare tactics used in the fitness industry right now. So without throwing this person under the bus entirely. There's a, uh, a Facebook group that I'm a part of that uh, Kirk, you are as well. And someone came on there and was promoting their, their own business. They were promoting that they are a sports nutritionist or a dietitian or something and started um, un- unrequested by anyone telling stories of people they work with and talking about all the crazy holes they found in people's diet and all the incredible progress these athletes made afterwards. And someone said, okay, yeah, like here, here's what I'm doing and, and listed off what they do. And I looked at it and thought, that's pretty solid eating. Like, yeah, are there some things you could tweak? Yeah, but is it going to change you as an athlete? No, it might change your long-term health. Like maybe 20 years from now, you might see a little difference. And she said, wow, does anyone else see what I see? And someone's like, okay, I'll bite. Like, what what do you see? And she's like, well, I see some very significant holes here that you're just leaving so much on the table in terms of performance. And I looked at that and thought, there are are several hundred people in this group. If even 10% of them get get all worried about this, now they are going to contact that person and they're going to throw money at this problem. And they're all believing that they're doing something significantly wrong and they're leaving all these gains on the table. And that just simply wasn't the truth. There's not there's not like three levels of athleticism residing in this person's hole in their diet where they had a little bit too much protein and too little carbs. Like that, mm-hmm. that's not a thing. But she she scared people into jumping on board and like, oh man, I have all these holes too. I'm gonna be a different athlete after I complete this course with you. And that thing, that just drives me crazy to see. She may believe it though. She may. She may believe but- it. But it's just because it's her reality doesn't mean that it's worth infecting everyone else with some um, false fear and giving them false hope that they're going to be a totally changed athlete because Mm -hmm. of changing around their macros. Yeah. You know, over the years, Bracken, so I've become a student of nutrition in the sense that um, for an entire month, I went keto. I had zero grams of carbs. This is something I respect about you, Kirk. Yeah. This is something that... 
I believe most coaches and trainers don't do. So I, I do want you to know that I've I've used you in a conversation with people about this, about practicing what you preach and learning the other side of everything. So continue. Oh, thank you, sir. So, and this was more, one, I was curious how my body would feel. Two, I was, I wanted to be able to speak knowledgeably about how it felt to like my clients. So I did a, I did three different things I've done. I've done a month of keto. I pricked my finger every day. I bought ketone strips. I tested my blood ketones to make sure I was in ketosis. Um, I went vegan for a month, completely vegan, like no honey vegan. Mm-hmm. You know, I even cut out all of the accessory you know, vegan, you know, gray area stuff. And then I've gone paleo for a month. And I was dead strict on all three of them. Okay. This wasn't like back to back months. This wasn't, um, <clears throat> this wasn't like, uh, this is over a couple of years. And then I've eaten balance in between that. I've cut out sugar at times. I've cut out alcohol, had her bid. That was probably the hardest for me. Um, all of the above. Uh, I will tell you that playing around with any extreme, all three of those left me feeling less than my best. Okay. Low carb or no carb on the keto had me feeling like trash. I've never felt worse in my entire life. Um, I did it completely by the books. I kept my fat content high. I kept my protein content low. It's the biggest mistake people make with keto is they eat too much protein. Protein converts to glucose, yada, yada. We don't need to get into it. Um, and I felt like hell. It was like I could only work aerobic and I lost my anaerobic capacity. I could not even work at lactate threshold. Um, I could not, I lost all my pop. Okay. Second, veganism. I had a honeymoon period with vegan for two weeks. I felt light on my feet. I felt snappy. I lost some brain fog. I felt clear. Um, the second two weeks, I started, my engine started to slowly like regress and I just couldn't hit, just felt a little empty. And then on paleo, is probably the best I had felt in the overall, in the sense that's cutting out all grains and dairy. My GI system felt the best it ever has. Um, but I lacked uh, some dense carbs, which required for performance. So I've done them all, guys. I've done all the extremes. I gave them a month, which some would argue maybe you need longer. And ultimately, when I went back to balanced eating, my performance, how I felt on a daily basis, improved consistently, dramatically. I would say for me, a version of paleo uh, where I'm adding a lot of potatoes, that's like some people say it's okay, some people don't. A lot of sweet and white potatoes on a paleo-esque diet, keeping grains down and keeping dairy down is probably best for me, but that's still a version of balanced eating. That's, you, you nailed it though, Kirk. I'm not going to derail you, but you nailed it. Like It's finding the best for you. Mm-hmm. A professional will look at them and be like, oh, you had holes in this, you had holes in that. It's like, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. It's what do you perform best on? Correct. Yeah, exactly. And so I come from a place of like, I'm not coming from this in a place of like, just blind, not like blind, I don't know, finger pointing. I've done them all. Um, and then that's my personal story. I know there's athletes out there who speak to keto as the end all be all. Mm-hmm. I know there's athletes out there that speak to, they've never felt better on veganism um, and more power to you, um, whatever works for you. But I will say that across the board, balanced nutrition is the right way to go. And now and, and what, the, what does that mean, I guess? What does that mean? It means this. It means I eat carbs as the primary amount on my plate at almost all meals. I eat vegetables probably twice a day with lunch and dinner. And I eat lean protein, fish, the venison, because I'm a deer hunter. We probably buy six different types of protein uh, throughout the week, and we rotate through them at dinner and at lunch. I eat a vegetable. I eat a starch. And sometimes I snack on junk in between, guys. And that's exactly what I do. And I, and I am, but, but what, what I am honing in on here is that 
I'm eating real food, nutrition, and calorically like nutrient dense foods. I'm getting vegetables. I'm getting fruits every day. I'm getting complex and simple carbs, depending on the timing of my eating. I'm getting it all. Okay. It doesn't mean it's an excuse for you to go eat pizza every day, which is not nutrient dense. It doesn't mean you can go eat Kraft macaroni and cheese because you like it. And we're supposed to eat carbs every day. It means like you still need to eat smart with your brain, with balance. Okay. But it doesn't mean there's an end all be all correct way to do Exactly. I've gone through a couple stages of my life. I yeah. grew up in my family and my parents were ahead of the curve. We ate all organic. They were part of a, what was called a buying club. Interesting. I didn't know this about you. That, that, well, something like that can really be ingrained in you from a young age. So I didn't know that was part of your younger psyche. Yeah. So from birth through 18, um, the food I ate was sourced in bulk. And since you couldn't source in bulk at a, a, for a family level, like 10 families got together and a semi-truck would deliver our food. And it would show up in our driveway and all the families would come up, sort out their boxes and take it so that at the time, that was the way you could get organic food. Hmm. And that's what we ate. Uh, there was no meat in our household. We were basically vegetarian. I mean, we had meat from time to time. If like on a special occasion, I'd always request brats, chicken. Mm -hmm. the, everything we ate was like as pure as they could possibly source in our situation. And I was like, I don't know if it's because of this or because we also had an extremely active lifestyle, but we were talking about this yesterday. I think I threw up twice from zero to 18. I got wow. chicken pox once and that's about all I can remember. I was severely dehydrated after a baseball tournament once. So I can, I can remember and count on one hand the number of times I was sick as a youth. I'm not saying it is or isn't, but like coincidental or not, that's the way I grew up. And it was so extreme that I went off to college and I ate like absolute shit for the next five years. Mm -hmm. And I was definitely less healthy. I introduced a lot of salt, a lot of fat, a ton of meat. I probably had 70% of my diet came from meat. I introduced alcohol. I slept worse. And I was a less healthy person. And I just kept dropping time. Mm. And then post-collegiately, I balanced out a little bit. Lisa and I got married. We started cooking most of our own food. We probably 75% of the time ate food we had prepared ourselves, mm -hmm. but we'd still go out to eat a time or two per week. We would eat junk food a decent amount. Some of our meals weren't great, and I kept getting faster. And then we moved out to Colorado, and Macaulay and I ate a lot of Taco Bell and pizza. And we made our own food in between, but we ate a lot of cheeseburgers, a lot of really greasy fries. Um, Taco Bell after every single big workout or race, pizza two to three times a week, and I kept getting faster. And mm -hmm. then I started really cleaning things up because my body didn't feel great. And so I progressed a little bit, but that's about the time I stagnated because that's about the time I hit the top end of my training and I mm -hmm. haven't been back at that. So my point is like from a health and life perspective, as I've cleaned up my diet, my body has felt better and my performance has not changed throughout the time. No matter what I was eating, no matter how bad I felt, I could nail quality days. No matter how good I felt, I could nail quality days. I could show up and race. I could hit long runs. It mattered more what I put in my body the night before my race than what I ate all month long because health-wise, it wasn't helping me. But your health, long-term health, doesn't necessarily impact your short-term race performance. And that's what I'm trying to say here. Eat better for your health 
don't stress about it because it's not going to change you from an average person to a world beater. Well, yeah. And, and I think the underlying thing there is there's two camps on this, but you're eating enough to replenish and refuel for your <laughs> next workout. Um, we can get into a whole level of, okay, what if I'm running 10 or 20 pounds overweight and I need yes. to lose weight? What if, but you're already lean, you're already race weight, and you were replenishing with some sort of food that refilled your macronutrients, which is carbs, proteins, and fats. You, yeah. may have been, you may have been a little off the mark on your micronutrients. Way off. I probably ate right. one serving of vegetables per week for like five straight years. Wow. And maybe because of smoothies, like five servings of fruit per week. I was way off. And I probably was headed towards some long-term health issues. Mm -hmm. But it was not changing who I was as an athlete. And if it was, it was on that 1% level. And that's my point. I knew I had to change for me, not yep. because of my competition. Yep. So I guess to, to summarize my personal experience with things and the way I, I definitely feel about this is that like when diet needs to be addressed and it does need to be addressed, address it from a health and life perspective, not from a performance enhancing perspective. I don't want to be negative on diets. I want to be negative on peer pressure, stress, and and guilting you into thinking there is this huge untapped potential in me athletically because I'm not doing this minor thing right or this. No, make the changes for yourself so that you are a healthier human and your body follows along no matter what you do, as long as you're getting most of it right. I agree. Um, if you're stressing over what to do, uh, with your nutrition, it's probably already having a negative effect. So yes. why don't we do this though, Bracken? I think this is worth chatting about. And you're right. We've gotten more nutrition questions if we're going to lump them into categories, mm -hmm. probably than other specific questions. So I think we dive into just a few things here. Um, first, let's dive into the athlete who, who needs, I'm using air quotes here, folks, needs to lose weight to run faster. Okay. Now we can go a number of directions with that. But in my opinion, the best approach, if you care about your performance along the way, folks, is to simply eat like you are, but reduce portion sizes and limit snacking. Okay. I don't think going low carb is smart. Um, if you're trying to perform your best still, I don't think necessarily going vegan is smarter doing these big shifts in overall, like the type of food you're eating, but simply reduce overall volume of the same foods that you're eating and practice self-control, which I know is hard and don't change much. And, and I tell my athletes this all the time, Brack, and I bet you have the same damn conversation is like, I'd like to lose five or 10 pounds. And I hear that all the time in OCR all the time. Um, and I say, let's, let's do this step one. We're going to probably increase your training volume a little bit and see if naturally that progresses you to where you need to go. Don't change your diet. Exactly. Step two, if that's not working, then let's look at dialing in a little bit uh, and I'm going to start with portion control. And if we need to tap into reducing, if you are a carb monster, if we need to tap into just reducing by like hundred grams of carbs a day or something where you're still fueling, but you're in a deficit, we will look at it. But first and foremost, it's portion reduction. Second, mm -hmm. it's increase in training volume. And hopefully naturally that comes down over time. And the problem here is, is people feel like if they're not losing two pounds a week, that they're doing something wrong. Like, do you understand that it takes 3,500 calorie deficit to lose one pound of fat. That is a giant, giant deficit you'd have to achieve, folks. A half a pound a week if you're looking to trim up. It's fantastic progress. It's progress. Mm -hmm. Like we're not in any rush here. Don't be miserable in the process. So 
so that's one strong philosophy I have for the athlete who's looking to lose weight. If you're, if you need to lose 200 pounds because you've been obese your whole life, we're going to talk a little different story, but we're speaking to you, the athlete. And that's mm -hmm. my, my take on that. Yeah. It's important to note we are talking about performance based athletes right now. It'd be a different podcast if we we're talking about health and, and longevity. But yeah, the same way we wouldn't build volume like crazy. We're not going to try to drop weight like crazy. And I do the exact same thing. First thing we're going to do is we're going to raise volume by 5% or 10% and see yep. what that does. Keep eating the exact same way you're eating. And then if we have to make a reduction, you're right. It's about scaling the same proportions. I don't yep. like cutting chunks out. I like skimming things down. You're dropping 400 calories throughout your overall day proportionally or 500 a day if you're trying to go after that pound a week thing. Mm -hmm. But it's 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 not anything crazy because the, the quicker you gain mass, the less dense your muscle is and the less bang for your buck you're getting. You know, I saw that with high rocks. I put on 11 pounds in seven weeks and it just wasn't as dense and useful as the other 181 pound guys I was competing against. Ryan Kent and I were about the same weight and he was significantly stronger than me because I didn't earn it over a year. I earned it over two months. That's a good start. It was still a start. It was a start, but I didn't need to get to 181 and think, all right, now I'm set. I dropped, I gained 11 pounds and I'm so strong and I'm good. No, it's now I need to to make that muscle dense. Now I need to continue to build upon that. Same thing with, with dropping weight. The faster you drop it, the less long-term it's really sustainable and helpful for you. Mm -hmm. But if you melt that off over the course of weeks and months, your body is becoming this hardened performance machine rather than a depleted machine who just simply lopped a piece off. It's a good way to put it, actually. Um, the quicker, quick, the quicker the results, usually the less effective that result will be for performance. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think that's, I think you summed that up nicely there. I think we can move on from that conversation again. Again, I'm a, a trainer who works with really obese people or really fit people or people in between. And these conversations can look very different. We're speaking to you as an athlete. So I guess we, we can get that out of the way. But um, the next, the next line here is uh, supplementation, which I want to touch on with you quick. Let's lump that into, we can make a whole episode about this. And I have a lot of experience with this because I've experimented myself. And this is coming from a guy who's experimented myself with this Bracken, who still thinks that supplements can be overrated at times. Mm -hmm. I've gone through hundreds of them in the years. Um, as far as supplements go now, we do tend to be deficient as endurance athletes in some things. Uh, our workload can't be replaced by the food we eat. Now that's not for everybody. Um, but I would say, I would say most of you listening right now have a deficiency in some sort of micronutrient again, micronutrient, meaning like a vitamin C or D or E or B complex. Um, you probably have some sort of deficiency Bracken's sitting across from me today with some sort of probably deficiency. And I'm sitting here talking to you with some sort of deficiency because of our lifestyle we choose. Um, I'm going to simplify this for you and say, here are the things that I think would be good to add to your diet that are a safe bet that I have noticed through the years, no matter who you are, that can be helpful. Um, I think that every endurance athlete could benefit from being on a B-complex vitamin. Um, B-complex really just helps. We've talked about this maybe a long time ago in something. B-complex helps convert what we eat in the gut to, uh, to energy. They, I'm, I'm really shortcutting that actual explanation, but it just helps us process and utilize, not process, utilize our food more efficiently as energy. And those are made in the gut and they also uh, they're made in the gut, but we just can't keep up sometimes, um, because of the energy demands we have. So I would suggest, I suggest my athletes to be on a B complex vitamin. 
I say, hey, it's not a bad idea to be on a multivitamin just to round out your nutrition. I think that's okay. And I also think that if you uh, do not live in a southern climate, that you should be supplementing with roughly a thousand IUs of vitamin D a day for general immune function. Um, if you are looking for that next level of, of benefit, I would say the next step beyond that would be going in for your next physical or update with your physician, getting blood work done and making sure your iron is good, your ferritin is good, and that you're not dealing with an iron deficiency, which can be really debilitating. Other than that, the B complex, the multivitamin um, and vitamin D, especially during the winter months, about a thousand I use a day, they recommend 500 is the daily recommended value. I think a uh, thousand or even 2000 can be necessary, um, especially us folk in the North. Um, that's where I drop it. Then you can look at things like glutamine and, and other stuff and whey protein after workouts, which is kind of a food and a supplement. But I would start with the ones I outline. Um, do you have much experience with, with that Bracken? I do not. I, I agree with you on this. It's it, all of my research and all of my learning. I found nothing to refute any of that. Um, but I, outside of having to use some magnesium and iron up at altitude when I moved there, yep. um, I haven't, I haven't had to do much. I, I, I firmly believe that if you eat a very good balanced diet, and you train hard, you probably don't ever have to take anything and you won't notice an issue unless you have something medically wrong. Like if you well, have low ferritin, if you have something like that, that you're probably not ever going to need it. But we all do have holes that you might not be noticing, but you could fill in. And that's where those things come into play. I'm not, I'm totally discounting people that have true medical issues at this point. I'm talking about the average person, but, but I think that basically my experience has been this. The more expensive your supplement, the less return on your investment you get. You're talking your your B complex, your multivitamins. These are things that can be had for under thirty bucks. Oh God, go to a, I use a company called Thorn T H O R N E, and they have the highest quality supplements on the market um, for the lowest amount of cost. My vitamin D cost me seven dollars, mm -hmm. and it lasts me a month. And their stuff is great. Go to Thorn, I think it's Thorn.com or whatever. Anyways. Continue, but um, but if you're paying fifty dollars or more, maybe even thirty or more for whatever it is that you're taking, you either better have a medical reason or you're getting taken for some amount of a ride. Unless you're on board with that, saying, "Hey, I know this is minimal, but I feel really good when I take this really expensive pre-workout," or mm -hmm. or just for my mental sanity, I need to be taking these. All, all these branch chain amino acids and I need to be taking all of this and it needs to be combined in this source. Like if you're open and okay with the fact that you may not be getting much out of it, but that's what you want mentally, mm -hmm. go for it. You have a disposable income, you know, do what you want. But mm -hmm. for the most part, the things that we really need to round out are not the expensive products. Yeah. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. Because the expensive products aren't sourced expensively. They are promoted. There's those are the products that have sponsored athletes and Facebook ads all over the place. And those are the ones that just drive the cost up. It's not because there's a direct correlation and the more you pay, the better performance you get. Yeah, we could go down that rabbit. I could speak on this for an hour, Bracken. Yeah. I think maybe we just, we just stop that. Uh, coming from a guy who, after college, as a 138 pound athlete, 
put on 30 pounds of muscle in three years and did everything I possibly could to do that. Mm -hmm. Speaking to what really worked, what worked was eating two chicken breasts at lunch, two sweet potatoes and some broccoli that worked cycling creatine and, and gaining water weight and a little bit more, uh, uh, explosiveness in some of my lifts long-term put me nowhere that just doing the work and eating food couldn't have put me. That's interesting because I'm actually a proponent of creatine. I believe benefits for athletes, especially athletes that are doing 60 minutes or less of work and explosive work. However, creatine is mm -hmm. super cheap. It's very cheap. Super yeah. cheap. It's very cheap. I, uh, I would, I would do like a huge, like a three month lifting cycle and I may gain five pounds in that. And then I would cycle through my creatine and I would retain maybe two pounds of that. But I am 90% sure Bracken, that if I just lifted and did what I was doing, I would have been two pounds heavier anyways. Um, and long-term, I don't like being on that. You know, you have to cycle it anyways. We don't need to get into it, but it's not like a sustainable supplement that you should be on every day. And I've done a lot of research on it this year and the research is changing a bit and research is cyclical. So uh, whatever, well, maybe we just have a supplement episode. We can get to creatine later. But I, the point I can, is, get I can if, go off on all of it. So. It falls under the umbrella of bang for your buck. I do believe it can help athletes from more than just a weight standpoint. But it's so cheap. It's like it's like five bucks a month. Like if you buy creatine, it's pure form. It's like a joke. Um, okay, let's move on from that. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But I will say uh, I do want to touch on one thing that I've noticed personally, and I want you to uh, speak to your uh, experience on this, is protein intake. So I've had periods of time where I was in the first two weeks of my vegan diet experiment and I was like, I don't need protein. I feel great. Like, wow, like I am light, like this is feeling fantastic and protein's overrated. And I went through a whole phase of that. Um, that's not the case now that I realize how important it is for recovery and repair. And so I do believe as uh, endurance athletes, we can be carb monsters and we are or can tend to be a little low on the protein front for recovery. The one experiment that I've done is um, purposely increasing my protein intake along with still eating balanced. And I have found that I do recover and then perform or prepare to perform better on my next quality workout if I'm getting enough of that. And a lot of us don't realize how low we really are. We eat oatmeal in the morning. Okay, great. Well, that's like 10 grams of protein. Then we go to lunch and we have a salad with chicken breast. That's great, but you're only getting like 30 grams of protein in your chicken breast. You only have 40 grams for the day. And then you go to dinner and have a balanced dinner. Now you're at 80 grams, but you're a, a high functioning athlete who's strength training and running. 80 grams isn't enough to repair the damage that's caused. So um, I will take a, a whey protein supplement a few times a week if I feel like I'm low on my intake. And I do feel like that helps performance well. Um, do you take any uh, protein supplement? Yeah, so I take protein when I have a protein sponsor. <laughs> that's a that's a bad answer. But when I don't have a protein sponsor, my smoothie game skyrockets and my intentionality of how I take my protein skyrockets. So when I can just add it in, boom, got a scoop here three times a week after my big workouts or long runs, that's what I'm doing. But when I don't have a sponsor, instead of paying for whey protein, I just intentionally start tracking how much protein I put into my diet. But I'm a responder to protein. So am I, yep. which I realized. Okay, so you notice the difference. And there's a direct correlation to my workout intensity level and the amount of protein I need in my life. See, and I, I went back and forth on this because protein is a terrible fuel source, okay? Protein, 
is our last choice. Our, our body's mm -hmm. going to choose carbs first. It's going to choose fat second, and then it's going to choose protein third. It's our last resort. And so I always, you know, initially ran out of the philosophy, like, I don't need that much protein because it's a terrible fuel source. And I stand by that. Protein's mm -hmm. an awful fuel source. In fact, people's like, I had, I had eggs for breakfast. I'm ready for my workout. I'm like, you are so not ready for your workout. You put nothing in there that your body can use right now. However, um, I ate my words a little bit when I realized that it made me, it set me up better for my next workout. And that's what I'm assuming you're, you're talking about. It's, I love analogies and this is a bad one. Okay. Because it doesn't correlate between automobiles and humans. Like I even your worst, even your worst analogy is really good bracket. Here's how I look at it. Carbs are my gasoline. Protein is my oil. <laughs> the oil's not making me drive faster. When I run out of gas, I can't shift over and burn oil efficiently like as fuel, but it's what guarantees when I turn the car back on, it works each time. Mm -hmm. like, I have to have that in there, lubricating everything, repairing everything I'm doing. And I know that's not what oil does, but like, this is a bad analogy. I, I preface that deal with it. it. No, it lubricates. That's fair. Okay. So my protein starts working when my workout ends. That's the way I, I look at protein. Like I look at sleep. Does getting some before a workout help me out for the workout? Yeah, I guess technically it does, but I'm not fueling off sleep. My sleep helps me recover after the workout. My protein is just my building block afterwards. And when I do have protein afterwards, I stay on top of my recovery better. I feel like I'm just more regenerative. I'm going to argue with you there, Bracken, and say that may be your best analogy yet. Really? I swear to God, that is so simply and beautifully put that it may be one of your better ones. Yeah. Well, look at that. Fridge magnet. Look at that. <laughs> Fridge magnet. Uh, you can monetize that somehow. Uh, okay. So again, there's a lot of avenues we could probably dive down here as we do this. Um, I imagine you touched on a few other points in your rant to your wife. Yeah, but I feel like I've, I'm too ranty on this and I feel like I'm going to give off the wrong perspective. What's wrong with that? Because I don't want to come off as negative about nutrition. I want to come off as the stereotype about it. People come here to listen to what you have to say. Mm -hmm. But I also yeah. feel like overall, I'm a positive person. I don't want to be too ranty. That's fair. I but, respect. but I think I've, I've made my point. I don't want the fear mongers to try to click you in, to clickbait you into buying a product you don't need or a program you don't need. It's the same way we give away workouts on here and knowledge so that you can train yourself. Like, yeah, we offer coaching. But we also offer you the opportunity to do it on your own. That's how I feel nutrition needs to be as well. Sure, there are people who just don't want the work on their hands and they just want to outsource it. And that's great. There are professionals for that. But what I don't like are coaches um, or health professionals who will say, you can't do this without me because it's a secret and you don't get it and you won't get it. But I have the secrets here that no one else knows and no one will access it without my permission. And so across the board, that drives me crazy. It's why we give things away here. And it's why I believe that people should not be fearful of this. And also thinking there's this huge like level up factor. As soon as I open the secret door, I'm just a new person. That's my rant. Uh, I have a number of athletes, clients. And I think if you talk to anybody who's been successful in this sport, they will tell you there is no shortcut to success. And, and the road that is paved is from hard work eating balanced and recovering well. And it's those three simple things that you need to do. And consistency, bouncing diet to diet's not consistent. You can try a few, but eventually you gotta just 
ride that road. So I do think though that there is one area of nutrition that is performance enhancing and that is actually what you take in during long races. Well, maybe we should dive into that just real quick before mm -hmm. we end up heading towards the end of this thing is day before of during races. I think that's worth a quick discussion. Yeah. So continue with your your during race. And I would like to do a whole episode on this. But my my broad strokes vision of this is that the day before, the actual thing I take in doesn't matter as much as that I'm making sure my tank is topped off. I need to have... Throughout the week leading up, you're topped off. Week leading up and night before. I, it doesn't matter what I eat the night before as long as it checks the right boxes and the week of. Um, but the day of, that definitely matters. If I had to t choose the one point of nutrition in my mind that will be a game changer on race day, it's what you eat on race day. It has to be the right thing during the race. It, it's why people have GI issues. It's why people sometimes bonk. It's why people respond well to some products and not to others, because those are the things that actually are, I don't know if they're performance enhancing, but they keep you from having performance detractions. And so I do want to do a whole episode on that. But I would say if you're going to spend extra money, that's a good time to do it, to test out all the products that you can take right before and during your competition, rather than what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. That can be hit with a lot of different things. Your body accepts very specific types of fuels during a race that my body doesn't. And my, my body will take in things that your body doesn't. And we react, our bodies are hypersensitive during competition. That's where I think fine tuning truly does make a difference. Yeah, I think the philosophy the morning of a race, save uh, your energy for the race, not for digestion. So um, eating things that are very easy to digest, uh, not really the time for complex carbs. It's more time for simple carbs, your cereals, your quick oats, um, bagels, things like that, things that are going to get into your system well. And they're also easy to digest, doesn't put a lot of stress on your GI system. Um, and I think you run under the similar principle, I guess. Sometimes you veer a little bit from that with your pizza breakfast or whatever it is. Yeah, but I mean, really, at the end of the day, a pizza is not much different than a bagel. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Uh, why don't we just dive, touch real quick, just because, you know, we don't talk only theory, we talk specifics here. Um, with your, with your, just before race and during race nutrition, do you, do you have some insight there on what you like to do? I like to do what my body likes to do. So it's through the, the framework of that. It has to be simple. It has to be time not spent digesting. The, if I had to choose the two best things I have, one is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Um, and usually there's a lot of honey on it. And mm. I get that down. And then if I'm doing something where I'm really going to have to burn off some energy, I'll throw like gummy, like, um, like fruit snacks or something like that before stadium races. I love to eat a pack of fruit snacks in the morning and only like half of my bagel. So there's really nothing in there that isn't super quick to burn. But mm. one of the things I did for a while is I traveled with a magic bullet and oh. I got all the, the pieces of what I wanted in my body and I ground them all up and I made a smoothie so that I could spend even less time breaking down and digesting and less energy on that. And I could just I could palatable wise, I could drink better than I could stomach chewing food in the morning. Sometimes I just get nauseous chewing before a race. So drinking it down was better for me. Okay. Yeah. We go back to the Atkins a lot just because they've been the most consistent and successful, you know, people in this sport. And it's a, it's a full plate of white rice with maple syrup drizzled over it. 
those Canadians, and sometimes they put a little almond butter just for some stay power there, but very simple. You know how quick your body can process maple syrup and white rice? You can literally eat that, and it can be out of your stomach into your lower GI within 60 to 90 minutes. By the time they hit the start of the race, Bracken, that's through their stomach into their lower GI system, and there's no distress while racing and they have all their car their you know everything is just ready to go so just keep it simple that way and just to touch on something you said you said you wanted to make sure you topped off your tank like the night before a race or whatever it is um you know i'll often go out to eat with uh, other athletes the night before a race and you know a lot of us pros get together to like a pizza joint or we get mm-hmm. together and it's like dense food and everybody's like, I need to eat my salad or my brown rice and broccoli. And, um, I actually think you're wrong. I think a little oversaturation the night before a race can go a long ways. I may even throw a beer in there too, just to calm the nerves and through a few more calories. And some people sometimes give me a weird look like you're drinking a beer the night before a race. And, and it's more about topping the tank than it is about anything else. So I think people shouldn't be afraid to that. I don't think I don't think you need to eat super clean and light the night before or the day before a race. I think sometimes topping off the tank, I felt better off of topping it off than eating light. We haven't even talked about this, but I I keep an eating window. I can't okay. stand the term fasting because it's applied so strangely. Like going to sleep isn't fasting. Let's not call this intermittent fasting, <laughs> but like whatever it is. I can't stop that term from being used. So I guess I intermittently fast every single night before my morning run. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> so like 7 a.m., 7 p.m. to 9 a.m. I generally don't eat. So like I haven't eaten breakfast this morning because we started this podcast um, and I hadn't eaten yet, but I, I keep well, a window. You're going on, you're going on like a, what? 15 hours. I'm hours. on a 15 hour fast cleanse. Okay. Oh, you're you cleansing hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I don't follow that on race night. I eat my dinner at five or six and I eat again at like seven 30 or eight to get that final little bit in. I don't want to go to bed hungry, but the night before race, I'm not gorging myself. I'm not generally eating a steak the night before the race, but I, I guess I would not eat a quarter or a half of a steak or something, but I'm eating something again before bed because it's all coming out race morning. We're not going to be, <laughs> we're not going to be any heavier race morning. No one keeps that in on race morning, but I will have a little bit more caloric density to me so that I can burn really, really effectively on race day and race mornings. Like it's just like a race car. I keep talking about cars. <laughs> you don't even, you're not even like a car person. I'm not, but they're easy to understand. Like you do this, this happens. Sure. Yeah, sir. Uh, and they, they use high octane fuel, you know, on race day. It's not something you'd burn every single day. It's not something you would just every morning get up and put race fuel in your car. You just wouldn't do that. But on race day, it makes sense because you have to have something that's going to burn the way it's supposed to burn so that your car can accelerate and race the way you want it to race. And that's the exact same way I look at my race breakfast. It doesn't have to be... Um, anything other than palatable and quick burning. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing too, is I focus on, and now we got to just move on from this, but yeah, I, I focus on salt the day before a race, because ultimately we want to retain as much water as possible. I know that sounds crazy, but when we're doing endurance events, you want to be completely sodiumed up so that your muscles and your working fibers are holding onto water instead of uh, diureticing, so to speak. So it's not a word diureticing, but, um, so I focus on the salty foods, all over salts, the pizza and stuff like that. It just helps your body retain water and stay hydrated for the big effort the next day. And a lot of people don't think about that for some reason the day before, but like, you know, if I eat a whole pizza the night before a race and then chug three liters of water, I don't pee. 
because my body's holding on to the water that I've, I've drank because of all the salt I've intaked. So upping your sodium intake with your meal is super important. Even if it were to be fast food and salty fries and a salty burger and a salty something, um, a lot of times from a, from a hydration standpoint, it pays off the next day. Yeah. So people miss the mark there sometimes by eating low sodium. Especially because people carry around their giant big gulp all day long before a race. Like they're, they get, I, I've seen people that eat, that take in double the amount of water the day before a race than they normally would, but they don't change their nutrient intake. And now you're just diluting your, and it's not about how much electrolytes you have. It's the balance. It's the ratio. And when you dilute that ratio, like you're screwed, yep. you just drink yourself into a cramp the next day. And so, yeah, right. It's important to have that. And it's funny back in college track, I abstained from a whole lot of salt the day before because I wanted to be as light as possible because I was going to do four minutes of work and peace out. Yeah, but you were doing short events as right, well. Right, but now I'm the opposite. I load up on salt and stuff before because and extra food because I want to come in pretty dense. I take a sodium tablet with my breakfast. Um, any race that lasts longer than an hour, I'm taking that with my breakfast. So because I have a you know I have a cup of coffee in the morning or my perform elite, and that's a little bit of a diuretic with the caffeine. I find if I take a sodium tablet, I retain that instead of pee six times, I pee twice before the race. And that's like, that translates to the race yeah. course for me. 60 yeah. minutes or longer, I take an electrolyte tab in the morning and the night before. Yeah, all the little things you got to do to maybe make that 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 1% that we're knocking on during this episode. So this has gotten longer than we thought it would because we say that every week. Yep. But I do want to be consistent with our message. On Training Tuesdays, we give actionable advice. Now, it's a little different on this day, but I do want to give some amount of, someone might be leaving this going, okay, so you've just said none of this matters. What, what in the world do I do? Do you have resources you want to direct people towards to start researching, or do you want to have some guidelines on where you would start an athlete for, we keep saying, a good, well-rounded diet? No, and I'm going to say that with purpose. Okay. Uh, so behind me, again, the viewer, you can't see this, but Bracken, off to my shoulder, you see a bunch of books up there. I have a bookshelf behind me. Uh, I have uh, Eating for the Low-Carb Athlete, Low-Carb Performance, Vegan and Performing Your Best. I have them all in this little library behind me. The, the books that would promote what we're talking about aren't rocket science. Nope. They're not rocket science. They're just not. Uh, and, and I don't think I could steer anybody to one. I've read some, um, and I, I just kind of like, okay, yeah, duh. Like when I read it, um, I think you can, you've probably heard in my opinion from us, what you need to hear, uh, in my opinion, do you have something that jumps out to you? Well, no, because I, uh, I really like reading and I really like researching, but I feel if you have to follow a guideline, you're doing it wrong. It. If you don't have an extenuating circumstance, if you don't have an extenuating circumstance, like your wife, for example, who had an intolerance to gluten and was performing poorly, she wasn't absorbing nutrients. When she cuts gluten, she started feeling better. Yeah. Uh, again, I don't want to get a bunch of messages about that because we're gonna. Yeah. And we said it a lot, but we really want to drive home the fact we're not talking about you as a person. We're talking about you as an athlete. We're not talking about your medical conditions because those require these things. Mm. However, I do like the book Racing Weight by Matt Fitzgerald. Man, Matt Fitzgerald, I'm driving a lot of people to him. We I want we we will have arrived when we get Matt Fitzgerald on this podcast. If I could be somebody when I grow up, it'll be Matt Fitzgerald. I want to be able to write the way he writes and know the things he knows. But Racing Weight by Matt Fitzgerald, I would do because it's not a diet plan. It's about finding your ideal fueling and, and um, weight strategy. 
Mm, yeah. That's it. It's no different than me not telling you, you need to run 80 miles a week with one threshold run and a VO2 max workout each week. I won't tell you that because that's not particularly accurate to any one person. I'm not going to tell you this is what you have to eat, but I will say this, eat a lot of vegetables, eat as much fruit as you want. You'll find people on both sides of the of the, of the aisle on that one, but I think fruit's good for you. And Again, we're burning so much, you can get away with a little bit of leeway. Eat some good, healthy fat throughout your week. Get enough protein so that you're recovering and do all of these things in their purest form. You can eat more junk, but source it well. Like, I love pizza. We make a lot of homemade pizza. I love fries. We make a lot of sweet potato fries. Do what you got to do to get the foods that are tasty to you so you can get all of your macros and micros in, but just source them the best way possible. Sugars aren't bad, but you know when they're coming directly out of a package, it's probably not as good for you as if it's coming out of a, a beehive. You know you can find the things in the best form, and that's where we should start. But everyone should have a reason for why you eat everything you eat, just like you should have a reason why you run every workout you run. And it shouldn't be that this is a golden ticket that a secret no one knows about because those don't exist. Yeah. Um, I feel like this is the second half of this episode has been a little bit of an episode of tan tangents. And I have two more now that <laughs> you, you made me want to talk about. Um, first is I alluded towards this about enough fat in your diet and getting hungry. Yeah, we didn't talk fats today. No, we didn't talk fats today, um, which is a great secondary fuel source for long aerobic efforts. But uh, that's not where I want well, I kind of want to go there. But um, if you are waking up in the middle of the night hungry, uh, you are under fueling. I can tell you that verbatim. There's two things that I think are happening. Either one, you're low on your iron, which is a weird side effect of being low on your iron or ferritin is waking up in the middle of the night, like starving. Um, or two, you're not, you're not eating enough throughout the day or you're not getting enough fat in your diet. If you're one of those night snackers where you wake up to pee at 2 a.m. and you feel like you need to go to the fridge because you have this insatiable appetite, you're under, you're under fueling, um, especially if you're not worried about your weight, of course. Like then it's like you need to then address that earlier in the day. And another thing that I think people end up doing um, is they eat a little too light in the morning and then they overindulge in the evening. And sometimes if you are looking towards weight, I don't know, maintenance or loss, or uh, you feel like you're one of those that needs to lose five or 10 pounds, um, you need to front end load your day a little bit better. I, I, the number of athletes I have that eat too light in the morning and then end up saying, well, I snack so much at night and I can't cut these five pounds because I'm into Doritos and chocolate. Um, I don't know what it is with people in light breakfast, if it's time or if they're just, they don't want it. But I find that overall throughout the day, less if I have a big front loaded breakfast, I bet you the end of my day is actually lighter than if I had a light breakfast and then ended up making up for it later in the day. So just two things we didn't touch mm -hmm. on that I thought were worth bringing up. You know, that's, I, I believe very strongly in that as well. <laughs> that oh, it's not just what you eat, it's when you eat it. And both in terms of recovering from workouts and prepping for workouts, but weight management. This is coming from a guy who's fasting right now. Yeah, I'm totally fasting, bro. Yeah, yeah I can see that. <laughs> can you Continue. see it? Do I look more enlightened? You just look clear and light and ready to tackle life. Something about you're glowing. You can't see my lower body, but I'm holding a yoga pose. You are. Are you on your uh, exercise ball in like a uh, cross leg position? My exercise ball is right next to me. I'm sitting on my kneeling chair. Man. <laughs> All right. I'm not going to be able to use it for the next four weeks after surgery, so I got to get it in now. Speaking of chairs, uh, Bracken, Bracken edits these episodes, just so you guys know. He's the one. So I run mostly the social media. He dabbles and then 
uh, Bracken edits the episodes and I have a squeaky chair. Um, don't edit this out, okay, Bracken? Do you hear that? So Bra Bracken's demise is editing out my squeaky chair. So Bracken, on my to-do list, I put it on my phone this week is to get a new chair so you don't have to edit out my squeaks. That means so much to me. Like. As, as, as a couple that you're willing to work on that for me. That's love. It is. All right. So where was I going with this? Um, the, the later you eat in the day, just the less opportunity you have, you could burn 5,000 calories in the day. But if you've already burnt 4,500 of them before you eat your next 2,000 calorie meal, you just don't have the opportunity to burn as much. And there are extenuating circumstances there with you, depending on the type of workout, you might continue burning for a while, but your most effective time burning calories is just not going to be while you're asleep. It's just, it's just not going to work that way. And so balancing your food earlier in the day, I am a big believer in that, that you should have not the most calories eaten after all of your activity is done for the day. And, yep. and I'm going to say something that I believe in that experts may or may not. They love to talk about how you should limit screen time at night. And if you do, it shouldn't be in your bed. Your bed should only be for sleeping. Mm -hmm. However, for weight loss, if you're going to watch TV, watch it in your bed at night. Don't watch it on the couch. That's something I firmly believe in because when you're on the couch, you're going to be eating. And when you're in your bed, you're most likely going to be already having brushed your teeth and gone to the bathroom and in your jammy jams. And mm -hmm. you have a better chance of avoiding your late night binge session where you're not even noticing how much you're eating if you're in bed. So take that for what you will. But if you're struggling with late night eating, but like my, if you're like me and late night is the only time you get a chance to hang out with your wife because you have kids and you're going to be watching a show like we're watching, we're working through the seasons of Baywatch on Amazon Prime right now. <laughs> Bless your heart. Yeah, if, if you're sitting on season two of Baywatch like us and you've got 11 more seasons to watch, watch it in bed. Don't watch it on the couch if you struggle with late night eating. How how does the decision making process to choose Baywatch work? I gotta be. I'm very curious. You know, if you have to ask, you can't even afford it, Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> You've had a Pamela Anderson poster on your wall since you were a kid. It pretty much went like this. Oh, Baywatch is on Prime now. Oh, I've never watched that. We're watching one right now. And four weeks later, you're on season two. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. That's about as, as deep as it went. I can't argue with your logic there, though. I actually, I agree with that late night snacking couch thing. I mean, you could bring the bag of chips up to your bed, but that just feels definitely gross. Yeah, you don't want to be rolling over and brushing crumbs out of your sheets. No, you don't. All right, uh, let's uh, let's stop trimming the fat here. Let's uh, end this thing. Um, anything else that we need to chat about that we did not? I think that this, as much as anything we've ever talked about, leaves the door open for your own personal research and experimentation. I think that... Mm -hmm. This is something you have to own yourself. You have to go in knowing with the mindset is I'm not seeking a performance boost. I'm seeking a lifetime health boost. And you almost have to separate your diet from being an athlete, which is impossible because your diet is also directly tied to you being an athlete. But know that if I get the pieces right, I'm going to perform fine no matter what. So do what's going to be best for you long term and make sure to fuel before your big workouts and competitions as an athlete and you're good, but now it's time to start reading, researching, find what your racing weight is, find what you respond to. Are you a protein responder? Are you a carb responder? Do you need more fat in your life? I need fat to feel sated. It doesn't affect my weight, but it affects, well, I guess it does because the more fat I eat, the less I eat. So mm -hmm. um, find what your ratio is and then just source it from the best sources. Yeah, I'm the exact same way with the fat, by the way. Um, all right. 
So, folks, in the beginning of this thing, we told you to sign up for the damn race. Races. Uh, we'd love for you to get on that. Um, we got decent numbers, but uh, I know most people, if you're like myself, you sign up last minute. Like, I'll wait till the week of to sign up. We would love to be able to start getting some sort of idea of what's up for grabs here. And so I think you need to stop posting about it and start actually signing up for it. So um, reminder to go sign up for the beer mile or the burpee 10K. Uh, it's going to be great benefit for you. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun too. So go sign up, folks. That's it. That's it. Go do these races. They're going to be a blast. Do not let me power walking beat you. And if and when we have people that have dissenting opinions on what we've talked about here today, send Kirk a message. And that's that. You love throwing me under the bus that way, don't you? You're so knowledgeable. Oh, man. So start Bracken. Uh, last thing with the nutrition piece, I guess, real quick, is I think this topic may deserve a follow-up episode. And we finally decided it was okay to talk about it. Um, if you do have specific nutrition questions, send them in. And maybe we can do a specific, like a nutrition nutrition Q&A. We like to do our Q&As. We'll have another coming up. But I think a nutrition Q&A might be worth our time, things that we haven't thought about or spoke yeah. about. So, And I may put a poll on our Instagram about it as well. But um, nutrition-specific questions we would welcome. So shoot those our way. I think that would be helpful for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we do want to hear about this. And if it comes down to it and we need to get a, a, a specific professional on here to do the Q&A, like, we're open to that. So send us your questions. Um, just understand that we're not trying to throw anyone under the bus. We're trying to make sure that you don't feel pressured, like you're missing out on an athletic gain by not buying some specific program. That's it. Open your yeah. eyes, do some research and sign up for our races. This is the last topic we wanted to talk about on our list. And we've gone like an hour 25, which is our longest training Tuesday. So we don't know what we're doing over here. Uh, Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, Eat balanced, eat smart. Mm -hmm.